Hey everyone, David Ruiz here with the Sports Post. And today, you know, I had the pleasure of doing another gaming interview with Twitch streamers, Author Blues, and Sky Bills. People who have daily gaming content on their channels. And they were kind enough to talk to me about a number of topics, you know, from streaming to favorite gaming moments to what it's like to perform at a Games Done Quick, you know, goals they may have for the future. Huge shout out to them for taking time out of their day to do this with me. I think it's a very, it's a fun conversation. It's educational. It's informative to anyone who's maybe looking to consider this as, you know, either a hobby or I don't want to say full-time career, but, you know, in that right direction. So take a look, take a listen. They have great things to say. And I enjoyed this interview a lot. Record. All right, I'll ask away. Feel free to answer in whatever order. I really don't have a preference. Just uh, don't try to kill each other. Um, so I'll start off with a one I really like to ask people, and it's what is your earliest memory of video gaming? I'll let you start. Okay. Um, I played video games around the age of three, and uh, it was uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. And I remember getting access to the hammer suit and just thinking it was infinitely amusing. And then very sad when I realized how easily it was to lose the hammer suit. It's about <laughs> what I can remember. Um, so I probably had access to an NES much younger, but I think my earliest real memories of playing video games were more centered around um, when I was probably around the age of uh, four or five, and my family had gotten a Super Nintendo, and I had the game A Link to the Past. And I remember that um, I would come home from school every single day, and my I would basically be racing my dad home from work. If I got home first, then I'd get to play, and if he got home first, he'd get to play. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I told Pudis when I interviewed him... Um, I had an older brother who we started off into NES as well. And as a kid, I was terrified of vampires. And so one of my brother's favorite games was Castlevania. And I could not watch him play that game because like, I was just so terrified of this little 8-bit Dracula just trying to kill everyone. And like, I just, I couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, I do remember uh, being really young and uh, I had a cousin who was about 10 years older than me, but I used to go... Um, when my family was, or when, when my parents would go to visit my aunt, um, I would sit downstairs in the basement on the couch, just a, a little kid. And my cousin was a teenager, uh, and he would play Castlevania too. And I never took the controller. I just watched him all night playing Castlevania too. Nice. It's funny you mentioned Castlevania too, because I used to watch my dad play Castlevania three late at night. The setup would be in my room, and my mom uh, would be like, "Why are you playing that late at night?" He used to help me get to sleep. So, uh, yeah, Castlevania three became one of my favorite games as well. Yeah, it got worse for me because uh, when PlayStation came out and the Legacy of Kane series came out, and uh, he was able to suck blood from a distance, I was like, "Nope." I can't do this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, nice. Um, so I, I already know this answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, you know, did gaming for you start off as a hobby when you started playing? And then it took on to like, oh, I really like video games, so I'm going to keep playing this on a daily basis. I mean, I, I grew up with video games, so I'm not really sure... I'm not sure there's a distinction for a kid. Like, I mean, I, I was your typical sort of nerdy, indoorsy kid. So my pastimes were either playing video games or playing on the computer. So for me, video games were always an integral part of my life. I, I, I never, ever had to make the distinction between is this something I just do some of the time or is it something I do all the time? I, I mean, I just did it as much as I could possibly see myself doing, and I stopped when I was less interested. The answer is the same for me as well. I've been playing throughout my whole life. 
Um, some of the ways in which I've branched out, you know, I started Nest Nest, then I belonged to a uh, Halo 2 club in high school, and I played that for a little while. It was one of my first experiences with shooters besides GoldenEye 64. And then um, in college, I did the whole Smash thing. I would be in a gamers club and compete there just casually. And then slightly after college, I did World of Warcraft, and I belonged to a pretty serious rating guild for a while. And then from there, I saw Games Done Quick 2012, I believe it was. And that's when I started to try to time my NES, NES runs back from my childhood. That's kind of the progression of things. Uh, it started as a hobby, and then as soon as I started receiving support, I realized, hey, this is something I could actually do, and completely changed everything for me, really. Hmm. So it sounds like both of you, like video gaming has kind of created, like before internet, like this community of like, I guess, a sense of belonging or an easier way to connect with other people. Um, like, did you envision video gaming would branch out to other people to help kind of build relationships? Uh, I mean, growing up, all of my closest friends were people who also played video games. So I guess in a sense, that's true. I guess I, I did, um, video games did kind of help me make friends, but, um, I've always had relatively varied interests, so I don't think I don't think that was the only thing for me. I I don't think I have the necessarily typical story of the the shy introvert and and the video games were what connected me to people. But I I certainly have always been someone who is drawn to people of like interests, and I've always had a real passion for gaming. I guess since it's been so integral to who I am. So yeah. Um. Same really goes for me, except for the fact that, again, uh, those multiplayer games, such as Halo 2 and uh, Super Smash Brothers, those were the ones that uh, had me kind of branch out a little bit to people because that was more of the tiny competitive scene I was in back then. But I kind of knew or had a feeling something similar might happen with video games because I used to play card games, you know, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and the Magic the Gathering. And when I saw those were starting to expand, I'd always wondered if video games were going to expand in the same way. And in so many ways, it has now. Yeah, for sure. All right. Come down. Um, all right. So tell me about a video game moment that blew your mind. Uh, you kick it off. All right. So there used to be a show called the uh, Sunday Sequence Break, and they encouraged people to... Um, you know, glitch out on games, kind of do things with games. And something similar had happened after Sunday Sequence Break was over, and this is where I meant to go with this, called The Final Split. And I believe, and off you can um, you can confirm this, there was a segment called Glitch Please on there, on um, not the Sunday Sequence Break, to correct myself, but it was called The Final Split, and The Final Split had a segment called Glitch Please on it. And it encouraged people to send funny glitches in. Well, a couple weeks later, after I discovered Glitch Please, there was a really funny thing when I was running Lost Levels, where a hammer, thrown by a hammer brother, screen wrapped, and it destroyed one of the best runs I had, and I just sat there, and I laughed, and I laughed. I could not believe what I had just witnessed. And it just goes to show you that anything can happen in retro gaming. Now we have glitches that can warp people to credits, we have glitches that can kill people, we have glitches that can uh, clip us past stages, so... The thing that really blows my mind is is that we will never cease to stop exploring and discovering these glitches that we find. And that particular one in the Lost Levels is the one that I will never forget because it impacted me directly. <laughs> so the question's about, about something that happened to me in gaming that just sort of wowed me? Yeah. Um, I mean, my... I, I guess I don't have a lot of it from my childhood. It's more stuff from speedrunning. That's fine. Yeah. I guess I guess when I picked up um, speedrunning, the first game that I learned was Super Mario World, and a lot of it um, seemed relatively inaccessible. There was a lot of um, tricks in the game that that just seemed impossible. There's no way that I would ever be able to pull any of them off. And and I think that the first time that I ever pulled off um, a trick in uh, Vanilla Dome One. Um, where you you duplicate blocks in order to uh, 
um, get Yoshi wings where you're not supposed to be able to get them to end the level early. Mm-hmm. It's a, a fairly complicated series of tricks all in a row that result in being able to beat a level considerably faster than you otherwise are supposed to be able to. And the first time I actually successfully pulled that off, I think it was a, a huge moment for me because I realized that, you know, with time, I could pull off even the, the craziest stuff. And I, I feel like I've gone on to, to do more impressive things than that. But I think that was sort of a, a big formative moment for me to realize that, you know, none of this stuff is really impossible. Nice. Yeah. Um, I do have some speed running questions for you guys, but I'll circle back to that in a bit. Um, I just want to change gears here for a bit. Um, so in your words, you know, how would you describe your stream as it is today? Go for it. All right. So recently my stream has undergone a metamorphosis. There's a concept that came out a couple years ago called a randomizer. And this is what you witnessed last night. And a randomizer takes a retro game such as Mario 3, Legend of Zelda 1, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, and of course Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and it totally shapeshifts the game. Some more than others. In Ocarina of Time, for example, you could find an item that was originally supposed to be in the Shadow Temple, like the Hover Boots, in the Forest Temple. And it really changes the way in which you route through the game. And I can change the game every night by a bot. A bot will spit out a new seed for me every night. And just the concept of playing these games fresh after years of speedrunning and resets really changed the way I wanted to approach my stream because I want people to come back every night, enjoy the same classic games that they love seeing, but in a different way every night so it keeps things fresh. So from there, I've decided to branch out into what's called variety streaming using these randomizers. And besides that, I also have... Um, Magic the Gathering Arena, which is a client currently in beta from Wizards of the Coast, and I've been playing that as well, and it's a way for the crowd to kind of engage and think about the different plays I'm doing and such. And then we'll do some random fun uh, audience-centered games, such as Golf with Your Friends and the Marble Racing I've currently been doing. And I feel like between a balance of those things, plus the occasional speedrunning, keeps people coming back for more. It's not the same game every night with the same resets. While those can be exciting to watch, especially if someone's a world record contender, it can be very tiring on a streamer and lead to burnout. And with the additions of these randomizers and the Magic the Gathering Arena beta, and even the uh, chat interactive games, I feel like the stream now just has this nice synergy that it didn't once have between streamer and audience. Um... I like to think of myself as a variety speedrunner. So there's sort of a, uh, I mean, we, we use the term speedrunning and, and there's a term sometimes used for streamers just called variety stream, um, which is, you know, streamers who produce a variety of different types of content that, that uh, fill their stream. And I, I kind of like to think of myself as having sort of a foot on either side. Um, I speedrun games, but I... Um, play a variety of different games so I um, you know your average speedrunner probably doesn't speedrun more than 10 games that's kind of unusual for a speedrunner to speed more speedrun more than 10 games I've speedrun 185 at this point um, so I just sort of enjoy the learning process so there's a lot of like watching me learn a game which um, can be helpful sometimes to people trying to figure out how to learn a new game uh, or just want to see the process from start to finish, you know, see how the, see how the uh, sausage is made. Um, but <laughs> I, I have a tendency to maybe produce less optimized speedruns than those speedrunners. My goal isn't necessarily being um, the most optimized or the top of the leaderboard, but I, I just really enjoy the learning process. Sure. Yeah, and you guys kind of both took my next question from you. Was uh, I was going to ask... Um, you know, before, like with Sky, before you, you do like primarily Zelda, um, was there a variety of games that you guys would stream? So like, would it be like, I'm going to play X game today and do this. And then tomorrow I'm going to play Y game and do this. Like, was that ever like in the, maybe the beginning stages of your stream? Like, was that ever the format for you guys? I would say picking a day of the week for, for different 
different things? Like planning in it, is the question about planning in advance? Not planning in advance per se, but just like, well, today I'm going to play Mario. Tomorrow I'm going to play Metroid. And, you know, I'm just, I'm changing it up every day, I guess is the question. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I would say I still, I started out much like authors right now. I was still a variety speedrunner, but what I did was I did speedruns of games from series. So maybe I would do Mario, you know, 2D Mario one day and then 2D Castlevania another day. And then, you know, maybe 2D Zelda the next day. I had different series I did, but I stuck to those series. I very rarely branched out into something that was remotely different from that, at least in the beginning stages. I just I've never structured my content that way. I I play whatever interests me. I just um, whatever catches my interest that day, and then I'll sit down to stream it. Um, if you don't see me stream one night, that's because I didn't find anything that caught my interest that day. Um, but whether or not I'm playing like a different game every single day, I mean I've I've historically occasionally uh, thought of doing you know like I I had one. Uh, uh, one point in my stream, I used to have something called Weeb Wednesday, which is where I would try to learn some obscure Japanese game every Wednesday. Um, but just in general, I sort of, I'll stick with something as long as I'm still finding it fun and I, I think that it's still producing good content, and I'll move on after that. So sometimes a game will take me one day, sometimes it'll take me a week, sometimes it'll take me a month, um, but I tend to move on from things uh, just as soon as I feel like I'm not having fun producing content with it anymore. Gotcha. Not to be a downer, but has there been a game that's been like that for you where I was like, well, all right, I'm done with this game now? Yes, about 184 of them. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, that's the reality of it is that, you know, people often will say, hey, I followed you um, when you were playing such and such game. Do you think you'll return to it? My answer is always... Uh, I guess, maybe, I don't know. It depends on whether or not it catches my interest again. But uh, more often than not, I mean, the learning process is the most fun. Maybe it'll be just as fun to relearn it later and, and try it again, but I don't really uh, structure things. that I don't, I don't plan in that way. I have, I have a little Google Doc that I keep track of, um, just like a list of games that have caught my interest recently. And uh, if I get to them, then I get to them. Sometimes it takes me so long to get to them that by the time I'm looking at my list again, I say that doesn't interest me anymore. Um, I, I've never been much for structure in that way. So I just kind of do whatever, whatever feels fun that day. Gotcha. Is there ever any kind of pressure to kind of feel that way? Because like, I know... Obviously, as a streamer, you're the person in charge. But sometimes, and I'm not a streamer, so I can't really say to this. But, like, is there ever pressure from people who do reach out for, to you, like, either on social media or in your chat, to be like, hey, like, I really want to see you play X game. Like, is that ever going to happen? It's like, do you feel pressure? Or do you just like, well, you know, this is my channel and I'm not going to give in to demands of people? Well, I don't view it as demands. I, I, and I certainly try not to be contrary in that way. Um, my answer is almost always, uh, you know, we'll see. Um, sometimes someone will say, hey, would you ever play such and such a game again? And I'll mm -hmm. think, wow, I had a lot of fun playing that back then. I might actually check it out again and see if it's fun again. Um, and sometimes I'll just be like, no, I don't think I'll return to it. But um, of course you feel pressure. I mean, at the end of the day, unless you are just purely a speedrunner who is only on Twitch just to record your content. Um, it, like, if you're that way, kudos to you, and you can really design whatever content you feel best about. But, of course, there's, like, always this feeling of a little bit of pressure. Like, you know, I, I made my following at one point on Super Mario World, and when I moved on from Super Mario World, was I doing people a disservice by not playing as much Super Mario World anymore, maybe. I, I certainly saw fewer of those familiar faces at that point, but I knew that continuing to play Super Mario World wasn't making me happy, so I needed to play something else. And I've, I've gone back to Super Mario World several times. Uh, in, in my streaming career, I've probably picked back up Super Mario World four or five times, but I put it back down whenever I'm just not having the fun anymore. Gotcha. Yeah, no, no that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Skies or anything similar for you i don't feel like i ever was under pressure for this because 
with the exception of Ocarina of Time, which is a brand new game for my stream, mm -hmm. most of the games that I've um, kind of moved on to were the randomized versions of that game. So I went from Mario 3 Vanilla speedrunning to Mario 3 Randomizer. Or I went from, you know, kind of some attempts at Legend of Zelda 1 to Legend of Zelda 1 Randomizer. I'd say the only time I ever felt kind of pressure is when I I had done two solid years of Zelda 1 Randomizer. Like, that was the last two years of my stream, pretty much. And when I had moved down to Ocarina of Time, something entirely different, I was a bit nervous, but my crowd was just used to me sometimes just moving on to things, and it was a pretty good transition from uh, Zelda 1 to Zelda Ocarina of Time Randomizer. So I would say as long as you have like those shifts and they're kind of used to those shifts, it's, there's really no pressure with it. You've certainly made choices about your content based on viewership, though. I mean, there's certainly been times where you say, I, I'm trying this and I'm not getting the viewers that I want, so maybe I'll, I'll downplay it a little bit. Sure, but I don't think I've entirely thrown something out the window alone because of viewership. The way how you keep returning to Super Mario World, I occasionally do that with Star Fox, and I'll take sure. it in viewership. Um, but it will, of course, not be regular content, as Oth was saying. I do let viewership sometimes kind of sway where I'm going, but I wouldn't call it pressure. I would call it more incentive. Uh, if I stream this, I'm going to get more viewers, for example. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, I think that's a, those are really solid points about that. I don't know if how many people realize that that's the case for a lot of streamers. Um, like, I've thought about that, and I don't even stream. But, you know, I've written sports pieces before where I've gotten backlash for, you know, differing opinions or whatever. Um, so I can definitely see how that can affect the streamer. Because your audience, like, unfortunately, kind of makes who you are sometimes. Um, One thing that you have to keep in mind, certainly, is that there's going to be a difference in motivations for streamers where their stream is their primary and sole source of income, mm -hmm. and streamers who are more or less at the hobby slash amateur level. I mean, Sky's, Sky, Sky might primarily make her money on, on Twitch, and I, I certainly earn revenue from Twitch as well, but it's not our sole sources of income. And so we can sometimes be more discerning to do what makes us happy versus, you know, a streamer who has an audience who more or less at some level becomes their boss because that is their primary source of income and has to make certain strategic decisions about their content in order to uh, help boost numbers and, and improve their income. Yeah. So does that become the goal then to make streaming your full-time job? For some people, that's the case. I think I think some people view streaming as being the idealized type of job where you feel like, hey, I don't have to do any work. I can just play video games, and people will pay me to do it. I mean, the reality of that's very different. I mean, even at a even as a streamer of our level, um, streaming can be its own full time job outside the four hours that you spend streaming. There's also you know sort of side activities that. Uh, feedback into the stream there's there's networking and there and there's general work to be done so streaming is not necessarily the the free activity uh slash job that it might seem but um i think a lot of people do view that as being you know i sure wish that i could just quit my job and become a streamer full-time but um i certainly don't view it that way i i get fulfillment from my actual job and and i enjoy being able to continue to treat streaming as something that I just do however I feel like doing it. Yeah. Sky, any comment? In my case, uh, streaming is this kind of gray area part-time job for me right now. Streaming's only been around for so long. It's been around for a few years, and we don't know how sustainable it is or when it might eventually go away. So although it is currently my primary source of income right now, I always keep a side job and I always stay active in the uh, more traditional workspace in case something does happen to it one day. It's always good to have a backup plan. Auth and I have both been to college. We both have gotten an education. And if anything collapses, Auth and I will be ready to um, to re-enter the workforce, especially in my case. Auth has a full-time job right now. Uh, I'm currently working a part-time job in education myself. 
And I always think it would be awesome to do this full time. And currently in my situation, uh, which is a little bit more, it could be a full-time job. However, there's always going to be a part of me that will always want to keep another job on the side, just in case something happens again, because we don't know about the future of streaming right now. And that's one of the things that keeps it so interesting. We don't know what's going to happen. This is all so new to us. So it just it's one of those things where you have to kind of read the field or read the market and what's going on with streaming and kind of make decisions based off of that, based off of numbers, based off of um, what's going on in speed running if we want to stay that way or if we end up breaking off into some sort of like variety streaming or some of the Fortnite stuff that you end up seeing if it's something we can be good at. It's just there's always so many things to consider, but it's always very practical to always keep a job on the side in addition to streaming. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point because like part of the reason why I've decided to start doing these kind of interviews is because so I'm in the sports world, right? But like with the rise of esports, like you see the NFL has like an esports team. NHL has an esports team. Bleacher Report, SB Nation, they all have sports content now. So like I think we're I don't know if it's fair to say, but I right now I think we're kind of in that golden age of streaming and esports. Um it's become really popular. Um and you know, author, you kind of hit it on the head that some people are like, yeah, I, you know, can I quit my real job and stream or compete, you know, professionally as a gamer 24-7? I think that's kind of the stigma we live in right now. And, like, I don't want this to sound bad per se, but, like, it's the reason why I've, I've started to do this. Because, like, I want to get ahead of this before, like, Sky, like you said, if it does fade away in five years then, you know, we had our fun with it, but it's gone and it's back to the real world. But if people can kind of, you know, jump on this opportunity to start creating content or start streaming to start gaming like this, um, you know, it can potentially lead to something greater. And I, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know where our society is with that. I don't know if it's sustainable, if it'll be around for the next 10 years. But you know, while we have it, I, I think it's a great tool for now, at least. There is one prevalent thing I would like to add to all this. Something that I really feel like has kept um, our field of retro streaming very much alive, <laughs> and that is charity events. Charity events have really put retro gaming on the map as of lately. You're always going to hear about League of Legends. You're always going to hear about Fortnite. You're always going to hear about PUBG. But what about this retro gaming that we do? Charity events are what keeps that alive. So Games Done Quick runs an event twice a year, now even more than twice a year with the addition of GDQX. And that brings retro gaming and speedrunning to a much larger scope than it otherwise would be. So with the uh, advent of these charity events, I feel like there could be more room for growth, especially in the speedrunning section. If speedrunning ever goes esports, we can thank these charity events for the exposure that they've provided. And also just doing things for a good cause is also very important within the gaming community. We see athletes give money away to charity all the time, start their own foundations. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's one of the ways in which esports and speedrunning or even um, any kind of esports connect together is that ability to be able to get come together as a community and do something for charity so that's also something to consider i feel like if speedrunning were to expand it would be thanks to some more uh different charity marathons as well yeah for sure um all right let's move on i feel like that's a good moving on point um so tell me your introduction into the world of speedrunning Uh, mine was a pretty common one for a lot of people. Uh, I So the summer of 2013, um, I think it was summer of 2013, was um, when Sig Lemic was doing his summer of Super Mario 64. Uh, he was trying to take the world record um, from uh, a Japanese runner who had it at the time. Uh, he had been practicing really hard, and he decided that for the entire month of August, he would do 12-hour streams every single day of attempts of Super Mario 64. And I think um, at the time, sort of the, the landscape of Twitch, I mean, there were obviously speedrunners on Twitch, but uh, he was certainly the most visible and the most active and the most um, 
passionate in a lot of ways. And I think that that in a lot of people, myself included, I've actually heard a lot of people say that this was the same sort of starting point for them. Uh, but seeing him do it kind of kindled that fire in me. And, and I said, you know, I, I bet I could do this too. I may not be good at, you know, Super Mario 64, but I played some other games as a kid and I could learn them and I could learn to speed run. So um, that was kind of my jumping off point. Nice. So what I ended up doing was I was at a friend's house and they were like, you have to watch this Games Done Quick Marathon. You like retro gaming, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I've, I've done this for quite some time and I've always been interested in that. So he turns on this run and it was Funk Doc playing Castlevania. And I remember uh, <laughs> another runner, Koreshi, was playing piano in the background because I'd always loved the music. And I'm watching him perform all these tricks and I'm like, all right, these look very difficult. But I feel like I could do this as well because I had been playing Castlevania for so long. It was another game that I picked up when I was a kid. And I'm like, I can do this. I can totally play this. So we sat there and we watched the marathon the whole day. It was really interesting to me. And I picked up my nest when I got back and I just started kind of messing around with my retro games again. And I turned on these old GDQ bots or reruns and I would see what the runners were doing and trying to see if I could duplicate that and the rare events where I could I got really excited so I had thought to myself well why can't I stream this why can't I do this like them and maybe eventually end up one day at a GDK myself and I just kind of went from there I never thought for a second that I couldn't do it I just went off and I did it and I'm glad I did because I've met a whole new community of people as a result of that nice was it I guess the motivation was it to to do what they could do and be and go from there when speed running or like you know learning tricks or whatever like was that the motivation to start doing it or was it from like just the sheer of like you know people call it breaking the game per se I just wanted to do it to prove that I could be up there just like the rest of them playing a game I also wanted to entertain people while doing that. You know, I used to play video games as a kid in front of my parents, my grandparents, my cousins, you know, to just kind of provide entertainment in the background. And I used to get a lot of joy from that. You know, the weather would be, it would be snowing outside and we'd just be meeting as a family and there I would be in the corner playing, you know, this video game and people would be occasionally looking over at what I was doing. And I'm like, this is really cool. And the fact that this was brought into a reality through the internet and through Twitch is just amazing to me. Just something I always wanted to do. <laughs> nice. How about you, Blue? Um, I, I, I think I was just motivated by a, a genuine interest in sort of, I, I don't know the word for it, the hobby, the craft, the mm -hmm. whatever. I, I, I marveled at someone being that level of good at video games. I mean, I, I grew up playing Super Mario World and The Link to the Past, and even as I was older, you know, into college, I, I would play Super Mario 64 probably once a year. I would play Ocarina of Time once a year. I'd play A Link to the Past once a year. I, I was just replaying these old games that I really liked, and I, I thought man, I'm really good at these. Like, I can beat them in, like, three sittings. I, I can beat any of these games in, like, three sittings. It's like, man, I'm, I'm really great. And to, like, see someone who is so clearly, you know, several steps above where I was, you know, thinking that I was good and then realizing, no, never mind, uh, made me realize I had more work to do, so. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, I know you both talked about how you discovered... Um, games done quick and I asked Pooh this because I, I like to hear the experience what's it like performing there? Stressful um, but fun I mean you're you're kind of on I, I don't know how it is for a lot of people I consider myself a pretty uh, outgoing introvert um, and so I, I can kind of turn it on and I can put on a show for a little while and I just enjoy being up on the stage and having some fun um i have been typecast to do bad video games for the rest of my life it's my groundhog day to just always <laughs> be playing bad video games but i 
Um, I, I enjoy kind of laughing at the game along with everyone else, knowing that everyone else is probably having a good time laughing at it too. Yeah. Showing them something that they haven't seen before. Um, it's fun, but it's also really stressful. Um, there's this like need to perform well, and it's already a very technical, uh, challenging thing to do, just playing video games quickly and well. So um, then you say, all right, you've got one try at this. Get up there and show them what you got, and it can be kind of stressful. Yeah, I watched your Titanic run um, <laughs> earlier today. That game is low key a double dragon game, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's based on a, it, it they had like a fighting engine that they had built, um, Hummer Team did, and they <laughs> they then later used it to like repurpose into a beat 'em up style game. It's a, it's got a very strange history to it. Yeah, I I heard your your explanation in the video. <laughs> um, how about you, Sky? What's it like performing at GDQ? I'd say it's very nervous and jittery at first, but then when you remember you're also there not only to play the game, but entertain people, you kind of forget about how nervous you are, and that helps. So we see this in Oregon Trail when I had my couch be my wagon for that. You know, we even had a friend with a cow hat on, and uh, I tried to make it fun. I tried to involve everybody, you know, and as soon as I got over that hurdle, over the mental hurdle of what happens if all 12 of my oxen get stolen, now what do I do? Once I got over that nervousness, I was just fine. And I thought to myself, this game's going to deal to me what it's going to deal to me, and hopefully it's a good hand. Um, in the case of Auth, he also had uh, Brasentia helping him out with Titanic. He had a narrator for yeah, his yeah. run, which made that <laughs> even that much better, which I'm sure helped to reduce the nerves. Every bit counts. Who you surround yourself with, um, who may be reading donations for you, all of that counts. But I discovered, as much as I like playing games, and as badly as I would like to play another one, I really like being behind the mic because you get all the entertainment fun without all the nervousness in the one shot of playing. Uh, I typically host to do commentary for GDQ now, but who knows? I wouldn't mind doing a randomizer up there for sure, but nervous and jittery, and then as soon as you surround yourself with the right people, it's very much fun up there. Yeah. and I mean, obviously we know it's for the, the charity, the Doctors Without Borders cause. Um, but, you know, what? when you saw it, was it like, oh man, I want to do this? Like, was there a reason to perform a game at a GDQ? I mean, it's like our Mecca, our, our Super Bowl almost. I mean, a lot of people take issue with that sort of qualification to describe it that way, but... Yeah. I mean, it's it's our most visible and most centralized event within our community um, with, without really... There, there's nothing even close to it. So, uh, I mean, it... It can be for people in our community something of a bucket list item to to get to play a game at a GDQ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I echo the same sentiments as all. That is our biggest, you know, the, the speedrunning's biggest event of the year. And even to just play it once there is just such an honor. It's like something that you could add to, if you will, an esports resume one day. It's something that's yeah. always worth noting, and, and you always get a good story off of it. You know, with, with every single time you have a run, there's usually a good story about it. Nice, yeah. A um, couple more for you guys. Uh, I guess we'll circle back to streaming. I know both of you kind of touched on it already but maybe just a little more detail um how do i want to say this like what i'll just leave it as this like what was your motivation to start streaming i mean i <laughs> i um originally started streaming to have an easier way to record my runs um it was just easy to do, and Speedruns Live uh, needed you to live stream races if you wanted to participate in those, so it was kind of a no-brainer to stream them. Um, I'd come out of a, a different community um, at the time. I, I was participating in um, this other community previously, and 
there were some people in it who were pretty active streamers, and so I would I would see them stream, and it looked like fun. And so once I started speedrunning, I was like, well, I I finally have some content of my own I can stream if I want to. Yeah. My answer is uh, very similar to what I was talking about before. I enjoy performing in front of people. It's something I've always enjoyed. I like interacting with people. And at the time, I was still searching for jobs fresh out of grad school, and I figured, why not do something really fun and interesting with my time? And to my surprise, it was like running a business after a few months. That's what it actually had felt like to me, in a good way, though, a job that you love doing. Right. So um, it definitely gave me some experience that I feel like a normal job may have not been able to provide for me. Yeah. And my next question is, and I, I don't need specific numbers, but it's something I've always wondered, and I'm sure people starting out have this question as well. But how expensive is it to start streaming? Zero dollars. <laughs> I mean, it's it's as expensive as you want it to be if you... I, I started out speedrunning Super Mario World on an emulator. I paid no money for OBS. I paid no money for having um, having uh, an emulator with Super Mario World in it. I paid no money for my split software. I I paid zero dollars for my very first stream. I mean, I eventually bought a cheap twenty dollar webcam, and uh, I had a desk microphone that I could use. But um, it can be. It can be quite expensive on the other end of the spectrum, but your your first stream doesn't have to cost money. It doesn't have to cost anything. I mean, if you're if you're you know looking to break into streaming even outside of speedrunning, I mean, Fortnite's free and OBS mm-hmm. is free, and you window cap Fortnite and boom, you've got a stream right there. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, my experience was a little different. Yes, my first streams were zero dollars as well, but I was streaming from a friend's house, and I didn't really have a computer at the time. I had a MacBook, which back then, MacBook streaming software, not very good, honestly. <laughs> so um, to, for me to get my own individual streams free of my friend's house, which my friend lived two hours away, so I could only do it you know, only every other weekend, uh, I would say it's about $1,000. Uh, for a good computer, you know, webcam, capture card, things like that. I was fortunate to already have the uh, the hardware for the video games, but probably about a thousand ballpark to get things up and running if you do not have a uh, a, de- a desktop. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what, what equipment you've already got. So does that bring any early, like early troubles or early problems for like beginner streamers? Um, like if they do have the mindset like, oh, I need a hundred dollar mic, I need a fifty dollar microphone, blah blah blah. Like, does that ever enter the thought process when you're either starting or like if you're five years into it now? I guess like the constant need to be like, oh, I want to make sure I have not top of the line, but like better equipment to bring better content to my audience. I mean, sure. Yeah, I, um, I mean, if you're playing retro games, getting your consoles RGB modded so that you can then send them to an upscaler so that you can get a good, you know, high definition video picture without any sort of uh, artifacts to them, that's great. Um, if you're going to play retro games with RGB, then you might want to plug them into a PVM. So that's going to probably run you, depending on what you have access to in your area, maybe another $150, $200 if you need a better PC to be able to produce that content. And then you then you go to microphones. I mean, you know, you might already have a laptop microphone, but then you want to upgrade that to a USB microphone. And then later you decide, well, this USB microphone can still be improved. So you buy an XLR microphone with a USB interface for it. I mean, it's, a, it's just a rabbit hole. You can spend as much money as you want to on it. The advice that I would give to someone starting out is do not be afraid to spend slightly more money on better parts. My first computer was very much on a budget, and it showed after only a couple of years. Uh, to this point, I've replaced my computer twice. I'm on my third streaming computer at this point. And if I would have just spent the few extra dollars the first time around to try to put better parts in, I feel like it would have lasted a little longer. So it's one of those, if you know you're invested in streaming, if you think it's at least going to be a part-time job or even you know, kind of a more serious hobby, you definitely might want to think about maybe bumping your parts up to the next level and making sure to spend a little more money on it. It'll go a long way and you won't have to replace your computer as often. 
Yeah, gotcha. That make, I mean, that makes sense, yeah. Um, two more. What's it like being in a relationship where both of you are gamers who stream? Yeah. Sorry. Calm down. Calm down. Sorry, do you need me to repeat the question? No, I heard you. Oh, okay. Um, I think it's... I mean, it comes with its own relationship challenges. You certainly have to find more time to carve out for each other, but... Um, I think in many ways it's an asset if you if we're both streamers and we both sort of understand the the challenges that are inherent in that and the time commitments that come with that when she says that she's gonna stream for six hours one night or do a 12 hour stream one day I, I get it and I can plan accordingly um, but the the flip side of that coin is that the more time that you devote to streaming, the less time you're devoting to your relationship. So you certainly have to make that time. Um, it doesn't just happen on its own. Yeah, I, I also will agree with everything Oz said there in full and uh, add that it just, it takes better organization. It really, you have to organize your time properly. Sometimes that means giving up sleep and that's okay with me, um, especially because I work my part-time job remotely. But I got to remember, if Oscar got to be up really for his job the next day, I need to make sure that it is a balance. That balance is so key to maintaining our relationship. On the plus side, though, and something I did want to add, um, our, since we both work in education, our vacation times sync up. So that means um, at least we can plan to... Um, travel somewhere at the same time relatively we can see our families during the holidays still so because everything lines up pretty much for me and him occupation wise we at least have that going for us which is good and then there's the whole you know i need to sink eight to 12 hours into this sometimes and there's just that mutual understanding that you would get that you may not get in a relationship where it's just one person streaming gotcha what about the other side of the other side of the coin like, has there ever been collaboration between the two? Of course. Yeah, we, we're both speedrunners, so we've done cooperative speedruns before, games where two players can speedrun it at the same time. We've raced together, we've done streams together, we've, we go to GDQs together, and we support each other on uh, couches for commentary and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many opportunities for collaboration, both of us being streamers, and then just just the natural side effect of us both being streamers in the same house means that you know i send my viewers to watch her and she sends her viewers to watch me and there's like a natural uh cooperation in the growth of our streams and um there's just there's plenty good about it yes and in addition to all that as well auth helps me run my charity event for saint jude once a year as well and helps me out with all my stream tech because some of this stuff with computers and hardware and software is very complicated and i'm very happy i have auth to help me out literally my stream would not run without him i'm like the equivalent of an old lady when it comes to understanding streaming technology and layouts <laughs> so he really helps me out with that side of it as well and i very much appreciate his help um rating each other sending each other viewers is good and uh, in a way, too, we kind of can bounce ideas off of each other. Whereas if it's just one person in a relationship has a stream and one person doesn't, and they ask the person who doesn't stream, hey, what do you think about this? They may look at, like, at them like they're from outer space or something, you know? So at least Doth and I can understand. We speak the same jargon. Um, it's great. Uh, we are better off in each other's streams because we have each other around. Oh. <laughs> All right, last question. Um... What are some of your goals as a streamer and as a gamer? Oh, that's, I mean, that's pretty open in I, I like what I'm doing right now and I want to do more of it. I mean, that's probably the easiest answer. I want to keep producing content that makes me happy. And, uh, and so I, I hope to work toward that. I, I don't have specific sort of goals for growth I don't necessarily uh, aspire to be you know the next ninja with 650,000 <laughs> subs or something like that I just I want to want to I want to produce content and, and do speedruns I really like doing speedruns I mean that I I live and breathe speedrunning so yes 
My goal is I want to keep, no matter where I am, keep having more goals. So, for instance, as of right now, I just crossed the 14,000 mark on followers. Um, I have 300 sub points. I have a TwitchCon ambassadorship, which I'm very excited about, a TwitchCon. I'm one of the first 15 uh, TwitchCon ambassadors, and I'll be making an appearance at TwitchCon in uh, late October. And that's all really exciting. That's um, over $30,000 raised for St. Jude. There's so many milestones, but then it's it's never being completely satisfied. And that's something that kind of drives me to keep going. So what's next for me? I would like to be able to get on an eSports team uh, for primarily uh, randomizers in Magic the Gathering Arena. I would like to take Magic the Gathering Arena a bit further and be able to do more events with that online and maybe get an equal viewer draw that I do to retro games. Uh, maybe make our local event. Um, my friend CT Conquer of Southeastern Speedrunners runs an event called um, Southern Speedrunning Summit. It's once a year. I'd like that event to eventually grow and become a bit bigger as well. And I don't know, just maybe try to get back on that GDQ stage one day. Uh, it would take a lot of hard work and dedication in the speedrunning front, but if I find the right game, anything's possible. It does take work, though, for sure. And so it's always having goals and continuing to put the work in. I feel like I've been transitioning away from uh, my primary focus being my stream and like doing more stuff like uh, my speed rain podcast. So um, it's been, I, I mean, it's just, it's sort of like just continuing to work within that space, I guess, is the main goal is to continue to produce speed running content. Nice. Awesome. Well, Sky Blues, thank you so much for answering my questions. Um, I had a great time talking games with you guys. Um, yeah, I, I think you guys had a lot of great things to say. And I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. Yay. All right, take it easy. Thanks, guys. Once again, huge shout out to Author Blues and Sky Bills, like I said, for taking time to do this with me. You can follow them on social media at their respective names. Follow them on Twitch. They're very active. They stream their content almost every day. And, you know, they're a lovely couple from North Carolina, and I had a great time talking with them. So I'm looking for more people to do these kind of stories with. If you have someone in mind, you know, you can tweet at me at writingdavid. Don't forget to follow the Sports Post, Sports Post Home on Twitter as well, where you can find the article once it's up. But thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, this is David Ruiz.